Well, amen, and good morning to you, my own Tom. Here we go, all right. How about now? Still not on? Well, we'll use the platform mic then. Thank you for being here this morning. Ah, oh, here we go. Let there be sound. We're glad that you're here this morning, and aren't you thankful for our musicians, our choir and orchestra, our praise band, and the worship they lead us in each and every week? We are blessed indeed. Absolutely. My heart melted when I was listening to the children this morning sing how Jesus loves me. There is no greater truth than that. And so this morning, we are uh, excited about being in the house of the Lord and excited about bringing a message today. If you have your Bibles, please open it with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 3, we'll be looking together at verses 13 to 15 in just a moment. As you're turning there, I want to say a word of thanks to our pastor for affording me this opportunity to, to speak this morning. He um, actually texted me yesterday to ask how I was feeling I think he was afraid I might uh, get sick or something. And those things do happen. But uh, I was happy to report to him I was in good health. But he said he had a backup plan ready to go in case I fell out and wasn't able to be here this morning. And I think he said the name of the sermon was going to be, Why Did This Happen to Me? That, you know, <laughs> no, that, was, that was pretty good. But uh, nonetheless, we're glad to be here this morning. It's a joy to be in the house of the Lord. Hey, I'm excited about a couple of weeks from now when Mark Rick will be here. And uh, yeah, absolutely, Mark Rick will be here. And it's going to be a great, great day. <clears throat> and uh, I want to say to you, we are anticipating an overflow crowd that day. We're anticipating a lot of people responding to the gospel that day. And so we are in need of some additional decision counselors. Those of you who might have interest in helping with decision counseling that day, we would love to have your help. So immediately following this service, uh, we're going to ask, if you would, just to stop by room 106. And uh, Eric uh, Gargas will meet you in there. He's just going to go over some quick details with you of what's involved to be a decision counselor and all the resources that you will need uh, will be provided for you. So please let me encourage you to uh, help us and we would greatly appreciate that so very much. Let me um, call your attention to our text this morning. I'm sorry, I keep trying to walk away from the podium, but let me uh, read to you our text very quickly. The Bible says, and he went up to the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. Would you join me as we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for the sweetness of your presence this morning. It's a joy to be in the house of the Lord. It's a joy to be here today, Father, and I pray that your great name would be honored and glorified. Thank you for this text that we'll be exploring this morning. And Father, I pray that your precious Holy Spirit will open our eyes to see the wonderful things you have in store for us. Lord, may we be attentive to hear, and Lord, I pray that you'll give us fertile hearts to receive 
the seed of your truth today, and may we leave here changed because we've been in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to ask you this morning, what is your purpose in life? What is your purpose in life? Do you even know? You know, we all live for something. You know, maybe it's for fame or power, fortune. You know, it could be wealth. It could be any number of things, but we all live for something. But my question to you is, what do you live for? And what is most important to you? What is it that gets you out of bed in the mornings? Well, besides the smell of coffee and bacon, amen, that works for me every time. But what is it that gets you out of bed and really motivates you to go through your day? You know, according to Jesus, your purpose is simply one thing, and it's spelled out in two words. Your purpose is to make disciples. Make disciples. You know, every follower of Jesus lives under the crystal clear mandate of the Great Commission, and there are no exceptions. There are no exception clauses to be found in Scripture. Some think that Disciple-making is left to the pastor and pastoral staff and the super saints. But the Scripture makes it very clear that we are all called as followers of Jesus to make disciples. So I want to leave with you a main thought right now, and that is this. Disciple-making is not a program. Southern Baptists do not need any more programs, amen? We have been programmed to death. There are programs to make more programs, but we're not interested in another program. I'm here to tell you this morning that disciple-making is a lifestyle, and it's a lifestyle that Jesus Christ has called us all to live. Now, this morning, there are three important observations I want to highlight from our text. And the first is this, disciple-making is our supreme purpose in life. Disciple-making is our supreme purpose in life. In verse 13, our text says, And he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. So watch this. The very first thing Jesus did when he began his earthly ministry was to call together a discipleship group. That was the very first thing he did. And so like Jesus... Personal disciple-making must be a priority in our lives. But listen, Jesus not only modeled disciple-making, but he also commanded it. So you see, there are two bookends to the Great Commission. First, it was Jesus' first command to his followers. In Matthew 4.19, the Bible says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know, the word follow implies movement. Listen, friends, you cannot stay where you are and follow Jesus at the same time. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, it means that there must be movement in your life. There must be change in your life. I love what Jesus said in John 10. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. So one of the 
best expressions of a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, is that they follow him. It's more than just offering him lip service. It's more than just going through the routines of Sunday morning. But it's a lifestyle of pouring our lives into other people, helping them to follow Christ as well. You cannot stay where you are and follow Jesus at the same time. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, If any man would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So you see, friends, following Christ means you must take up your cross. Disciple-making involves taking up your cross. It means dying to your hopes and dreams to take up His agenda for your life. And yes, it may involve pain. It may involve hardship. Today we have preachers that want to talk to you about your best life now. But Jesus said, following me will not be easy. There's hardships, there's difficulties along the way. It may mean losing some friends. Jesus said, before you follow me, you had better count the cost. And I think really anymore we've made disciple making much too simplistic. We've, we have watered down the demands of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. A Christ follower will find a cross waiting for him every day of his or her life. When you get up in the mornings, you can be sure that there is a cross awaiting you. And as followers of Jesus, we follow him in good times, and we still follow him when things go wrong. You know, the weight of the cross may seem too heavy sometimes, and the splinters of the cross may wound us and bring pain. But one thing is for sure, my friends, the way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. We are certain of victory in the life to come because we have chosen to follow the victorious Savior. You know, what I'm telling you this morning is simply this. Christian discipleship as taught in the Bible is a full commitment of one's life to Christ with nothing deliberately held back. Nothing. Jesus Christ bids you to come and follow him. But I must tell you this morning that the call of Christ will always include the call of the cross. You know, after commanding them to follow him, Jesus promised to make them into something new. He promised to transform them. He would make them fishers of men. So listen closely. Clearly, this was no call to join a discipleship program at church where you just take a course and check an attendance box. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking courses at church, and I would encourage you to do so whenever they're offered. But this is an invitation to a radical change of life. This is an invitation to a lifestyle of disciple-making. So not only was it Jesus' first command to his followers, it was also his final command 
to his followers. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. His words are clear. In the original Greek language, there is only one verb in the Great Commission. And Jesus commanded them to make disciples. So what I'm telling you this morning is that at the heart of the Great Commission, it is not go ye therefore. The heart of the Great Commission is make disciples. Make disciples. We've seen a surge in missions involvement, and that is a wonderful thing. Thank God for that. You know, we fill our church calendars with all kinds of activity. But at the end of the day, what are we producing? What are we producing? Do you think God cares what we're producing? Yes. His command is to make disciples. So he's looking at what we're churning out of our churches. What are we producing? Let's just say this morning, you and I are standing in front of a Ford manufacturing plant. Now, how many of you this morning are Ford fans? You drive a Ford. Wow, there's a few of you out there who drive a Ford. I'm a Chevy guy myself, but I do like Fords. I, I do like Fords. But let's just say this morning, you're standing in front of a Ford manufacturing plant, and you're standing here and you're watching all of the raw materials go into that plant. You see all the, the, the rubber and the metal, the steel, the glass, and all this other stuff, the, the electronics uh, going into the manufacturing plant. And so you're standing there and you're, you're watching the manufacturing take place. You hear a lot of noise, a lot of stuff, a lot of activity, a lot of uh, busy employees doing their thing. And so you're standing here waiting for that Ford Bronco to come rolling out. Amen? And so as you're standing there, you're waiting for that vehicle to come rolling out. But instead of a Ford Bronco, a bicycle rolls out. You know, and there's nothing wrong with a bicycle. It's got wheels on it, it rolls, and it will take you places, but it's a far cry from a Ford Bronco, amen? Well, I would say the same about our churches. We have a bunch of people who come into the church. They, they come in, and then they go through the buzz of activity in our churches, the calendar of stuff. We have going on, they go on trips and stuff, mission trips. Uh, they get involved in small groups. They do some wonderful things. Some of, them, some of them find their way through the cracks and we lose them. We don't know what happened to them. The FBI can't even find them anymore. And so they disappear. But then, after all this activity, they come out the other side and we're amazed at what we see. It isn't the disciple-making follower of Jesus that the Bible describes, but we have people anymore 
that are not committed to church involvement. They don't even come to church anymore. I was reading just this week that 40% of evangelical Christians do not even attend church. How have we gotten there? What is wrong with our discipleship that people can be okay with laying out a church? You know, I am excited about having Mark Rick come. And I really think he will be a great draw. And I'm very excited about the fact that he's going to be sharing his story and sharing the gospel. And I have utmost confidence that there's going to be many who will say yes to Jesus Christ and be gloriously saved. But may I ask you a question this morning? Is Jesus not enough anymore? I'm here to tell you that King Jesus is here every Sunday. And He is worthy of our praise and our worship. It doesn't matter who's in the pulpit. It matters that Jesus Christ is here. And we come this morning to set our affection upon Him, to bring glory and honor to Him. We come this morning to express our worship to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Because that is what a disciple does. You know, I might add, speaking of Mark Richt, <laughs> he got saved at Florida State. I just want you all to understand that. Amen? <laughs> but on a more serious note, you know, biblical illiteracy is a big issue in our churches and throughout America. According to LifeWay Research, 68% of Americans have never read through the entire Bible. Of the 68%, 23% have never read the Bible at all. LifeWay also reports that a whopping 77% of Americans believe that good works are necessary to get into heaven. So in other words, 77% of Americans believe they must earn their way to heaven, therefore making unnecessary the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And many of those fill our pews every week. Dr. Robert Jeffress, who is the senior pastor at First Baptist Dallas, Texas, shared in a blog just this week that of the 42 million Americans who attend a Bible-believing church, listen, only 21% see the Bible as relevant to life. He also said that only two out of five Americans are considered Bible users, meaning they use their Bible three or more times per year. You know, today our churches are not producing leaders. We have churches in our denomination that are seeking and searching for spiritual leadership. They're looking for pastors and, and staff members, and they're having great difficulty finding them because our churches are not producing them. Our seminaries are struggling with enrollment because our churches are not sending them students 
Friends, we have a disciple-making problem today. Listen, this is the culture we live in here in America. Listen to me, church. We can no longer afford to just maintain business as usual in our churches. Now is the time for radical discipleship. Now! Friends, if you're going to be all in, be all in. Be all in. You know, young people, today many of them are seeking and searching for a cause to be part of, a cause that is greater than they are, a cause that brings meaning and purpose to life. Young people, I'm here to tell you Jesus is your cause. And I'm here to invite you this morning to a lifestyle of, of disciple-making that brings joy to your heart and brings fulfillment to your soul as you find yourself pouring yourself into other people. There is no greater joy than that. So we invite you to take up this great cause of disciple-making. Listen, the Great Commission is not a great suggestion. It's a command. It's the one thing Jesus definitely called us to do. It's our supreme purpose in life. Now, you may be thinking, you know, Richard, I'm not really convinced it's my supreme call in life. You know, I understand that. You know, for many years I had it adhered to the Westminster Confession that says man's chief end is to know God and enjoy his presence forever. I love that. You know, I've heard others say, I think, Richard, our, our chief purpose is to bring glory to God. I understand that. I, I certainly can't argue against that statement. And that sounds great, but what exactly does glorifying God look like? What does it look like? Listen carefully to what Jesus said in John 15, 8. He said, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, proving yourselves to be my disciples. So what fruit is he speaking of? Well, for one thing, there is the fruit of a changed life. A watching world takes a look at the change that Jesus has brought to you, and they are attracted to him because of what they see in you. And what better fruit can we bear than the fruit of making other disciples, the fruit of multiplication? There's no greater joy than, in, than inviting others to join us in life-changing disciple-making. So you see, one day, when I stand before Jesus Christ, and that day is coming, when I stand before him on that day, I want him to be able to say to me, Richard, take a look around you and look. See the fruit of your labors. Well done. Friends, we will bring the fruits of our labors with us when we stand before Christ, and He is going to evaluate them. And we're going to be duly rewarded for our faithfulness in this life. He's going to be looking for what we've produced in this life. And there is no greater fruit than that of disciple-making. 
So we've learned that disciple-making is our supreme purpose in life. But secondly, disciple-making has a simple process to follow. For Jesus, disciple-making was a simple process. So he called 12 men so that they might be with him and learn from him how to make disciples. So Jesus shows us that common people can become Christ-like disciple-makers. So who were these guys? Well, as you know, several of them were fishermen. Matthew worked for the IRS, so everybody hated him, amen? However, if these men can be disciple-makers, you and I can too. We can do it. So from Jesus, we learn that disciple-making works best through the caring, relational environment of a small discipleship group, or what we call D-groups, D-groups. For us, a D-group could be as small as three to five people who meet anytime and anywhere for the purpose of intentional discipleship. Friends, you can meet anywhere. You meet in your home, in your neighborhood, at work, at school, on a college campus, in the park, wherever people gather is a place where you can meet with a group. Now listen, D-Life is not a replacement for Sunday school. It is not a replacement for Sunday school. Listen, Sunday school is not going away. Long live Sunday school. So let me encourage you to get involved in Sunday school. If you're not in a class, you need to be. But listen, how many of you this morning are Sunday school teachers? If you would please stand. You're a Sunday school teacher all over the building. Very good. Y'all give these people a hand. We appreciate them so very much. And the work of ministry in our church cannot happen apart from what they do. So we appreciate all of our teachers. And we appreciate Ted's leadership over our Sunday school. And as I said, everyone ought to be in Sunday school. Hey, listen, I've been waiting all morning to give you my Yogi Berra-ism. Y'all know who Yogi Berra was? He was, uh, he was a class act, but he could come up with some funny one-liners that would have you rolling in the floor. But here's my Yogi Berra-ism this morning, and here it is. You ready? If you're not in a Sunday school class, you ain't got no class. Y'all like that one? Hey, I came up with that one all by myself. So... Uh, after church, I'll be glad to autograph your Bible for you if you want me to do that. But listen, D-Life is not a replacement for Sunday school. Listen, it is not even designed to be in competition with Sunday school. D-Life is designed to complement the work of Sunday school. Sunday school is designed to reach people teach people the Bible, and minister to one another. D-Life partners with Sunday School to help accomplish that work. D-Life is an outreach and discipling tool that can be utilized through Sunday School classes out in the community as we start small groups of three to five people anytime, anywhere. 
And the goal is to get people of all walks of life into the Word of God. And the end result of a D group is to get people reconnected back to the caring community of a Sunday school class. So a D group isn't an end in itself. It's a means of, of connecting with people in the community and getting them connected back to the local church and specifically in a Sunday school class. So by reading the Gospels, we learned that there are six practices of disciple-making that Jesus modeled for us with his D group. Very quickly, first is fellowship. Fellowship. Jesus called his disciples to have intimate fellowship with him. Now, as Southern Baptists, we spell fellowship C-A-S-S-E-R-O-L-E. Is that not right? Casserole. You know, that's what we think of with, with fellowship. But fellowship is much more than that. Fellowship is, is bearing one another's burdens. It's being a, a source of help and strength to other believers that are struggling in life. It's, it's being that source of help. And so in a small group, we want to have that, that fellowship where we're doing life together. And we're encouraging one another. But secondly, there is teaching. You know, Jesus taught his disciples using stories and group discussions. You know, the thing about D-Life is the Bible is your textbook. The Bible is your textbook. And so our purpose each gathering is for everyone to have read five chapters out of the Bible every week. And then we discuss one of the chapters in our small group time. And then thirdly, there's prayer. Jesus prayed with his disciples and he taught them to pray. And as we gather each week as a small group, we, we pray for one another. And one of the main things we pray for every week without fail is to pray for revival and spiritual awakening in America. And if we should ever forget and we we leave that out of our prayer time. We have a quick huddle sometime during the week and we pray for revival and spiritual awakening. We never, ever, ever overlook praying for revival and spiritual awakening. So prayer is very important, but another one is ministry. Another function is ministry. Jesus led his disciples out to do ministry and evangelism. And so our groups are focused on having some type of outreach and ministry project uh, once every two months. And it could be anything. Uh, working in a food kitchen or, or uh, doing prayer walking. It could be any number of things. Just be creative. But we want to get out beyond the four walls of a, of a classroom and go connect with people. Go be a blessing to someone. So ministry is important. Then there's multiplication. Jesus trained his disciples to go and make other disciples that will make other disciples. So listen to me, church. Disciple making implies the multiplication of disciples and groups. But as we look at our churches today, nothing is multiplying. Nothing. Isn't it amazing how Jesus poured his life into 12 men and they went out and turned the world upside down? Here we are 2,000 years later, and we can't even gather people to worship on Sunday. What in the world is the matter? Friends, we need to return 
to Jesus' example of disciple-making. But then lastly, there is accountability. Jesus held his disciples accountable to the process. And so each gathering, as your group uh, meets together, there's a time of accountability. We hold each other accountable for reading our five chapters. And, and then we share with each other the things that the Lord spoke to our hearts about as we read. But in John 13, 15, Jesus said, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So we cannot invent a better disciple-making process than that of Jesus. And so it would be wise for us to go back and make disciples just as he did it. Jesus is our model. And so there's a third important truth about disciple-making, and here it is. Disciple-making has the spiritual power to transform lives. And verse 15 tells us that Jesus sent out his disciples to preach and to have authority and to cast out demons. So for Jesus, disciple-making was transformational. Jesus made disciples that made disciples. He did not make any other kind. May I ask you something? What are we producing? Because it really does matter what we produce. Listen, Jesus equipped this ragtag bunch of men, and they went out and they turned the world upside down. And I'm here to tell you it can happen today. If we get refocused on that which is most important to the heart of God, and that is to make disciples. In John 14, 12, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Well, what on earth is Jesus talking about here? How is it possible to do greater works than the Lord Jesus? You know, apart from his death and resurrection, the main work of Jesus was the work of disciple-making. He literally poured his life into his disciples, and he trained them how to make disciples. He said that whoever believes in him would not only do the same work, but even greater works than these because he was going to the Father. What, what an incredible promise to claim for you and me. Disciple making is our greater work. It is our greater work. Listen, it is our supreme purpose in life. It has a simple process to follow and it has the spiritual power to transform lives. You know, the goal of D-Life is to equip common people to be Christ-like disciple makers. I want to invite you to join us in a vision to build a movement of disciple makers who are passionately committed to the greater work. Look, we are seeking to build a movement and there is a movement taking place right here in Floyd County. Other churches are participating. Many other people are getting involved in D-Life. They see the beauty and the power of small group disciple making and groups are starting to spring up over all over Floyd County. And friends, listen, I long for the day. 
I long for the day when there are so many groups in Floyd County discipling people that everyone in Floyd County is within walking distance to a group. May that day come. And you know what? It can begin right here. When you and I get serious about our walk with Jesus and what he has called us to do by making disciples. So this morning as we close, I want to ask you this question. Are you a follower of Christ? Now I'm not asking have you joined a church and been baptized and all that stuff. No, I'm asking you has Jesus Christ changed your life? Has there been a point in time in your life where you recognized your lostness and brokenness and your need for a Savior and you turned from your sin and you turned to Jesus Christ and you laid your life before Him and you said, yes, Lord, whatever you would have me to do, I will do. I will follow you, Lord. Wherever you would have me to go, I will go. Friends, that's what discipleship is. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Enough of consumerism Christianity. We're looking for Christians who are madly in love with Jesus Christ and want to make him known to a lost and broken world. But it begins with your own personal relationship with Jesus. I'm asking you this morning, has Jesus changed your life? I'm here to tell you this morning, you find a cross awaiting you. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That is a decision, a choice all of us must make. Oh, but friend, the victory is coming. This morning also, I want to invite you to be part of this movement I've been describing for you today. This movement of disciple making. This afternoon, beginning at 3.30, we're having a D-Life boot camp over in the FLC, and we would love for you to come and join us. You may be thinking, well, I haven't signed up for it. Uh, come anyway. Pizza Hut won't be upset if we order extra pizza, amen? But we want you to come. We want you to be part of this, this movement, this powerful movement, this grassroots movement taking place throughout Floyd County and surrounding regions of small groups of people gathering to get into God's Word, and lives are being changed. And listen, you can be part of that. And the invitation this morning is for you to say yes to what God wants you to do. We're going to stand in just a moment to have a time of invitation. And this is not my invitation. This is an invitation of the Spirit of God. But this morning, I believe with all my heart that He is speaking to hearts all over this building about getting serious about your relationship with Jesus. You may be here today and you're thinking... You know, Richard, I'm not really sure I've actually been born again. I've bought into this consumerism Christianity, and yet my life has never changed. Well, this morning, if that describes you, then as we have this invitation, we invite you to come, and someone will sit down with you and share with you how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, you may be here this morning, and you've been looking for a cause to be part of. And this morning, you may come and just say, Brother Richard, I want to be 
in that cause. I want to be a disciple maker. I want to stand before Jesus one day and hear him say, look around you and see the results of your labors. Well done. Well done. Let that be you. Whatever the Spirit of God is saying to you this morning, we invite you to come. Just be obedient. Maybe it's just coming and getting on the altar. Listen, we need to get re-familiar with the altar of God. Come get on the altar and kneel before the Lord and you, uh, you speak to Him as the Holy Spirit prompts you. But it's important this morning that we not only hear the Word, but that we respond in obedience. That's what the invitation is all about. Will you join me as we pray? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you'll help every man, woman, boy, and girl to do today what they'll be glad they've done when they stand in your presence one day. And we'll thank you, Lord, for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.